Hello, everyone. My name is Robert Winfrey, and what you're about to listen to is an older episode of a podcast I used to host called Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. This episode in particular focuses on death. Cheery subject material, I know, but not so much the concept of death as the various incarnations of death that have appeared in screen, both big and small. Or the written word, come to think of it. Uh, in pretty much any book by Sir Terry Pratchett, you'll find some personification of death. Uh, he is fond of making death a character. So, it's been a, it's a character that's been around for a while in various forms, in various uh, again, iterations, from the classic in The Seventh Seal to Sir Ian McKellen showing up briefly near the end of the... Uh, I'm never sure how to feel about this movie, but the Schwarzenegger film, The Last Action Hero, uh, he's actually playing the ver- uh, the version of death from The Seventh Seal, but... That's the nature of Last Action Hero being kind of a meta movie in, in that respect. Uh, so it's me talking to myself, but talking about a, a, a in the way you characterize death can be very telling about a story, can make for a fascinating antagonist because death is itself inevitable. But what does it mean to you know be the personification of death? Uh, so that's kind of the subject material you'll be jumping into on this one. Uh, I, per my usual mandates, must inform you that I would deeply appreciate it if you would like, comment, subscribe, share, rate, review, whatever you do on whatever platform you have happen to be listening to this on, please interact with the product just a little bit. That, uh, yeah, that helps us out a lot. It helps feed the unknowable horror that is the algorithm on whatever platform you happen to be on, especially YouTube. Especially YouTube. But if you could do anything in your power to help us out in that respect, that's deeply appreciated. You can also help us out by supporting our sponsors. We have a few of them. And first up, Amazon Music. If you like music, and who doesn't, you can get a free, completely free, 30 days of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. It has an, uh, you will gain access to their entire catalog of over 70 million songs. You can listen to everything ad-free. It's great. So if that's something you'd be interested in, go to getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network. Once again, getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network. There is a link in the description down below. So click on that. You get 30 days. After that, you can decide if you want to keep it and start paying for it, or if you just got to enjoy a free 30 days of the best music streaming service on the internet. There's no risk and no loss to you one way or the other. Also helping us out here is Grammarly. For you listeners of the W2M network, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. It's important. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes, while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash w2mnetwork. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash w2mnetwork to download Grammarly for free. There are links to them as well in the description below. With all of that out of the way, let me throw it back, uh, sorry, the original air date for this episode, I always try to include that, July 3rd of 2015, which does mean there's a handful of iterations of death in, again, screen and written work, 
that are not going to be discussed because they had not yet been committed to the public consciousness. But with that out of the way, throwing it back to myself in 2015, hope you all enjoy the show. Kind of where I want to go with this. 
death as a character instead of death as a concept, although the concept playing into the characters is very it, it's very much how some of that plays off. Now, I don't have any guests lined up. Apparently, either no one wanted to tackle it or I didn't get the information out soon enough for anyone to volunteer to be here with me tonight, and that means that I get to open up the phone lines to all of you good people. Statistics tell me that no one's going to take me up on this, but I have to put it out there for anyone listening live. If you've got a favorite version of death, uh, again, across whatever, that you want to call in and talk about, maybe you have a few of them, uh, the number is 323-657-0901. Call in using Skype. There is a Skype icon on the Blog Talk Radio player page. You click that, you click through a couple of boxes of dialogue, and that will get you up into my switchboard. So, again, kind of focusing on death as a character. And that's, you know, so again, anyone out there who wants to call in, that's how you do it. I try to give out, you know, again, there are shows that I don't take calls on. Usually, if I have a guest lined up, I'm not especially keen on taking calls. But if I don't have anyone, I don't mind opening it up to all of you good people out there who happen to be listening live. I know there's like four of you. And God bless you uh, for all of your efforts. Uh, I, a bit of the inspiration for this came from, oh, geez, a month and a half ago, give or take. It was in the month of June, I think early June. We had a rough series of days in the, I'll say the entertainment world. Uh, news of you know, Sir Christopher Lee's passing hit us. Uh, and the man was 92, and by the time he was half that age, had lived a better life and a much more interesting life than most of us will ever be able to. I mean, come on, he was in World War II, he hunted Nazis, he'd already been in a bunch of movies by the time he was in his 40s. I mean, just, again, 92 years old, lived the fullest life possible. And incidentally, if you want to listen to uh, a career retrospective of Sir Christopher Lee, Pat Mullen and I recorded one in January of this year when Christopher Lee was very much alive and kicking. Uh, that is the, currently the featured episode on the Radlich and Broadcast Network, so you can find it very easily. You can listen to that if you're so inclined. Uh, that's all appreciated. Uh, not too long after, he actually had passed before we got the notification in June. Uh, they wanted to make sure they notified the family before notifying the world at large, which is perfectly fine. But the same day we got news of Christopher Lee passing, uh, professional wrestling legend Dusty Rhodes passed away. A big blow for the world of professional wrestling. It's just been, and a jazz legend Ornette Coleman was around that same time. Uh, I don't talk about myself all that much on here, but I am uh, LDS, uh, colloquially known as Mormons. Uh, we've had a couple of members of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles pass away the last few months. It's just been a death's out, kind of reminding everyone that he's here. And that's fine. That's kind of what he's supposed to do. You know, death is a natural part of life. and Which is kind of where I want to start my discussion here. Uh, with all of you out there, again, listening live or after the fact, Death is constantly portrayed as an antagonist, but he's very rarely a villain. I mean, Death is almost never, you know, malicious or vindictive or outright evil. It's just a natural progression of, you know, from life to death. And it's the, it's the enemy in the traditional sense because, you know, people want to live. It's within our nature to fight as hard as we can to avoid death. By and large. Again, that, within our base nature, I suppose is probably the best way to say that. So we constantly fight against death, but he's very rarely, you know, evil, malicious, anything like that. He's just, he, he just is. It's just death. I, I say he, that's not necessarily fair. There are plenty of female representations of death out there. 
Uh, I, I use he in the general sense here, I suppose. And uh, I suppose we may as well start with, I believe, the best. Now, death has been played for you know dramatic value, for comedic value, across, you know, again, various mediums. Homer Simpson was death once, uh, to, you know, funny, Honest Simpsons, Treehouse of Horror, Homer Becomes Death, it was funny. Uh, not the best Treehouse of Horror episode, but, you know, not the worst. But I firmly believe the best uh, representation of death on screen from a dramatic standpoint, and some people can yell at me over this if you'd like, that's why the phone lines are open. I believe the best one probably goes to, and I'm going to butcher this guy's name because I've never said it out loud before, so my apologies, but Swedish actor uh, Bengt Eckerot, and I know that's wrong. I, I am well aware of how wrong that is, but I'm not sure where the accents are. Uh, but most famously, he plays Death in the version, excuse me, in Ingmar Bergman's classic film, The Seventh Seal. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen the movie The Seventh Seal, two things. One, it's all in Swedish, so you have to be comfortable reading subtitles. But it's a, a phenomenal movie. I mean, a phenomenal piece of film. It's just absolutely incredible in so many ways. And this representation of Death is, it sets the standard by and large, for a lot of, you know, the episodes, a lot of visions to come. He's all in black. He is not wearing, uh, he's not skull-faced, doesn't have, uh, doesn't have the scythe for a lot of the film. He does have it for parts of it. And he's, uh, he comes to Max von Sydow's night in the very, very first couple of sequences. We're introduced to death. Uh, Very striking from a visual perspective. And uh, this is also one of the reasons, one of the, images we get throughout popular culture is of someone playing chess to kind of beat death. Uh, Max von Sydow's knight, I forget his character's name, challenges death to a chess game. Uh, if Max von Sydow is able to win, he will go free. If death wins, he claims not only him, but everyone around him at that particular time. And they actually play, the version of chess played in medieval times is not the version of chess we play today, by and large. Uh, that's neither here nor there. The game itself is completely incidental. This is where we get a lot of you know, the visions of death. He's very pale, he's very tall, he's all in black, and some of that is, you know, from art going back all the way to the Dark Ages and beyond, but uh, from a cinematic standpoint, he's one of the very first. And, you know, again, the knight tries to cheat death. It doesn't work. You can't cheat death. You can't beat death. It's just a bad idea. To even try more often than not. But he's very calm, very you know, kind of implacable, very matter-of-fact. He's not, again, he's not evil. He's not, you know, w- randomly killing people. He kills people and he takes them because it's their time to go, not because he doesn't like them or because he's a, you know, despicable entity. He's, he's played by a man, but again, it's death, not... It's more than just a man. It's, you know, again, the entity of death. But he's, not, again, not a bad guy. The knight just desperately wants to live, and Death is well aware that it's his time. Uh, there's a, and Death claims a few people along the way, eventually defeats the knight. Uh, the knight actually makes a sacrifice uh, so that a young family can escape from his company so that they will not be claimed by Death after he loses the chess game. Uh, but you know, putting Death actually into the movie was a very, very intelligent move. I mean... The Seventh Seal deals a lot with the notion of, you know, a silent god, because actually when the Seventh Seal is broken in the Book of Revelation, which is where the title comes from, I believe that particular 
line is something like you know, the heavens were silent for the space of half an hour or something to that effect. Forgive me for not knowing it off the top of my head. I'm not completely up on all of my scriptural quotes. But it's a very kind of thoughtful meditation on not just religious life, but life in general, uh, m- mostly in a post-nuclear age. This movie came out in, oh, geez, 50s, I want to say. Uh, as big a fan as I am of that movie, you'd think I'd remember off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, 1957. So this is after um, the United States has detonated you know, atomic bombs over a couple of Japanese cities. The Russians are now developing an atomic and eventually hydrogen and nuclear weaponry. And it's, it's, again, very much trying to come to grips with living in a world where not just personal death lurks around every corner, because that's, that's never changed, but you know, living in a world where we could substantially alter the face of the planet with the push of a few buttons. I mean, that, that's almost a level of insanity that is completely unique to the human race. And anyway, Mr. Ecker wrote, going to mispronounce that guy's name. I've never even heard it pronounced, so that's kind of why, so I apologize. But, but his, you just, again, he's very implacable, very cerebral, very patient uh, version of death is kind of the enduring one. It's what has lasted throughout so much of the rest of you know, both cinematic and television history when it comes to death is just, again, just the you know, again the unstoppable force. It's nothing necessarily malicious, but it won't be stopped. It's just going to happen. And, again, he does a very, very good job of it as far as presenting the character. Uh, you know, the acting is, by and large, superb. Uh if you haven't seen that movie, again, if you don't mind reading subtitles, and you, sh- I don't think you should. I mean, I understand the people who said you don't go to the movies to read. I understand. That being said, you know, this is one of those things that you should probably see. It's a really phenomenal piece of filmmaking. And again, death is very central to it. Um, and, and again, that version of death is what gets played uh, very effectively for laughs in... Oh, jeez. The movie that gave us Keanu Reeves, for better or for worse, and more of it's worse than better, uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, culminates with uh, Bill and Ted challenging death to a series of board games. I seem to recall uh, Battleship, possibly Clue. Anyway, there's, again, three or four different board games that they challenge death to, and as it's a comedy and at the time no one wanted to see the main characters die, and that would come years later. Uh, they're able to beat death. He can't beat them at any of these games. And again, just in classic, you know, goofy 80s fashion, death I mean, Death makes a great comedic character, just by and large, because of how serious it is, both in real life and in presentation more often than not. You know, death is uh, final. Death is it, as far as, you know, mortality goes. I'm not here to preach about, you know, what I believe comes after, so I'm not going to. But in terms of, you know, earthly life, death is it. You know, that happens and you're gone. So you, and if you have the proper comedic bent, you can play that for laughs. And again, Bill and Ted, you know, with their time-traveling phone booth, uh, desperately trying to, you know, avoid death, is a very effective comedic tool. And I'm trying to remember who plays death. I mean, I gotta, let me see. Uh, let's see. It should just be right man. Socrates. I can't see it. Huh. Anyway. Hang on. I, what is it? Oh, what is it? Oh, the bogus journey? Okay. My apologies, 
ladies and gentlemen. I was very wrong about which movie it was. Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. It's actually the sequel, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, which was released two two years later. Same actors, so you still wanted them dead. Uh, anyway, so passing over my monumental error in judgment as far as that goes, I've only seen them once, so cut me a little bit of slack here. Uh, but William Sadler plays plays death in that, and again, his inability to defeat them at you know, silly board games, Battleship, Clue, Twister. Uh, he winds up just kind of letting them go at the end of it. He can't, again, he can't beat them, and I'm not entirely sure where the notion of, you know, I'm going to assume it's both just kind of general mythology and the seventh seal that, you know, you challenge death, you hope to beat him, and then you get to continue living, even though uh, that ends quite badly for people who cheat death in other movies. Um, Anyway, just to have a comedic death, you know, it doesn't bother me personally. I'm not the biggest fan, but, you know, sadly plays it very well. Another humorous version of Monty Python's The Meaning of Life features death. Again, a riff on Seventh Seal, mind you. Because in the end of the Seventh Seal, death shows up at the Knight's Castle for their dinner. Uh, again, for their final dinner together. In this one, he shows up to a cottage in the English countryside. And if you're familiar with the brand of humor that Monty Python and company are, are you know, then you know the kind of stuff that's a, that follows along with that and. If that's your cut, I happen to very much enjoy British humor by and large, and Monty Python in kind of particular. Uh, so I found it very funny. But uh, again, it's just you know, death can be, you know, death can be funny, not just you know in the character sense, in the literal sense. Uh, I, but again, kind of the notion of cheating death, uh, an unseen version of death is very prevalent in the uh, Final Destination franchise, which. As a franchise, annoys me to death more often than not. No pun intended. Uh, just because, you know, again, the the premise of any of those movies, and I was actually on uh, the Long Road to Ruby flagship program here on the Radulich and Broadcasting Network with Mark Radulich, reviewing the Final Destination franchise, uh, I believe it was last October. So you can find that in the archives if you're so inclined. Uh, but, and I actually have to kind of, uh, move along with a joke there that I'll get to. But uh, you never see death in that uh, in, in any of those movies, but it triggers events that cause the demise of people who have cheated it. Uh, you know, the original one is they're supposed to be on a plane uh, that is going to crash a few of them, get off. Plane crashes, death comes after them for things being out of balance. Uh, again, something along those lines. And it, and it death is just, yeah, again, never seen. But them, he sets off these series of events that lead to all of their deaths. Uh, title card artist for that friend of this show, the network in general, and personally, uh, Benjamin J. Cologne made the joke that in some of the later entries, specifically, you know, three, four, five, I believe there's six of them. Uh, there might just be five, but they're all the same movie. Uh, you see one, you've seen them all, basically. But he's made the joke that it basically becomes a giant game of uh, mousetrap. And for those of you who are approximately my age, give or take, you'll remember the board game Mousetrap. And the long, convoluted series of events that was required to actually drop the trap. And that's... It, it turns into a giant Rube Goldberg machine, basically. And there's actually a bit of dialogue in the second Final Destination movie that is sadly just completely ignored for the rest of it. But one of the characters mentions that, you know, th- this isn't just them dying... They tend to die badly, 
uh, all of these deaths are very violent. Like death is angry at them for having cheated, and again, very sadly, nothing comes of it. You know, it's just it's a throwaway bit of dialogue that could have been used to so much more. And I'm not here to you know just review that franchise, mind you, but you know, again, the notion of death having emotions, uh, being angry, being you know forgiving, merciful, and whatnot is. It's an interesting one because, again, death is normally implacable. It's, you know, a glacier uh, slowly moving. It's not going to stop, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Uh, but, again, unseen death, you know, setting off random you know, change of hilarity, actually plays very similarly into, uh, I believe it was an H- it's HBO or Showtime. I want to say HBO, but I could be very wrong about that. Uh, probably was Showtime now that I think about it. Anyway, the television series, uh, Dud Like Me. Uh, which I I found very funny, uh, very sad when it got canceled. But it it's a bu- uh, that particular show for those of you who haven't seen it, follows a bunch of reapers who will go around collecting souls. The group we follow specifically works in I believe accidental death or death by unnatural causes. And again, reapers are divided up according to you know the types of death they're going to visit and where they can collect souls. You know, natural causes, plagues, and ours tend to work in. They work in unnatural death, and I forget exactly what it is. But they all tend to die very, very kind of. We see it as through very convoluted means. You know, a banana peel left on the floor of a bank leads to one of the robbers slipping, falling forward, uh, catching his neck in the revolving door, having it broken, and you know, dying that way. Things of that nature. Uh, I found that uh, again. That show, I I liked it. You know, it was the proper mix of. Uh, drama and humor to appeal to me, and uh, I'm not big on anything that's just kind of straight down one line. So the fact that it blurred those lines worked well. And again, it, it kind of explored you know, the psychological effect of people being, you know, reapers and you know, harvesting people's souls. I mean, they were going to die anyway. They don't actually kill anyone. They just help facilitate their transition. And that's a very, yeah, again, it's a very interesting thing that you know there are people with personalities. Their own, you know, flaws and whatnot. And uh, I'm again, I was a fan of that show. Very sad when it was canceled. Uh, the follow-up movie was fine. I think we need more. Uh, I don't know. If, I don't think it's feasible at this. Uh, I was a big fan of that show. Um, kind of speaking of, you know, death as a, you know, as a person who does different. Uh, there's actually you know, death has been featured in many television series. Actually, uh, quite a few episodes of The Twilight Zone uh, have dealt with death. The one that actually sticks out in my mind, probably because I've seen it the most recently, a few years ago, probably more than a few at this point in time, I haven't looked up how long ago it was, because I don't need to feel any older than I do, but years ago, uh, geez, I'm old enough to use that phrase now, uh, when they attempted to kind of revive the Twilight Zone as an as a you know seri- weekly serialized thing, Forrest Wicker hosted it, uh, did kind of the Rod Serling thing. Uh, they had an episode dealing specifically with death, uh, as a person who decides he's had enough and he's quitting. And uh, the ver- uh, this version of death is played by George, uh, Jason Alexander, but you know Jason Alexander most famous for the you know his portrayal of George Costanza on the sign on the television show Seinfeld. He is the only moderately amusing part of that whole show, unless Arthur Stiller is on screen because he's awesome. But apart from that, I firmly believe George Costanza is the glue that holds that show together. Everything else just kind of falls apart without him. 
But Jason Alexander's death was interesting. He's just had enough of doing what he does. He tries to kill himself a few times. It, it doesn't work. I mean, he can't die. But he decides he's had enough. He stops harvesting. He stops letting people die. And he mentions very specifically that it's not just people. He kills, you know, insects, flowers, you know, everything in the universe that dies is kind of done by him. And we, it's a very, you know, it's not, again, the revival of the Twilight Zone was not very large. But this one, again, it just talks about, it winds up, you know, talking about the necessity of death because... Uh, the character we follow is a doctor who works in a hospital, and a bunch of people come in from a you know, horrible car accident, uh, a chemical explosion, chemical fire, some, something of that nature. A lot of people in very bad shape, but none of them are dying because death is done. He does not wish to harvest anymore. So now you have all of these people, you know, missing limbs, horribly burned, in unspeakable agony, but they can't die because there's nothing, to, again, to facilitate it. And him, Jason Alexander is a very a solid actor, and he brings a lot of kind of interesting nuances to death as far as that goes, and does a good job. Death's not a very easy character to portray. For as many people as have done it, there's a lot of again, it's not easy. I mean, uh, again, part of the reason I brought this up was, or you know, death in general was because of Sir Christopher Lee, and he played death several times. Uh, most of it was voice work. He did it for uh, an animated short called Discworld. I forget the year. Uh, there was a live-action uh, kind of follow-up to that called The Color of Magic, where he plays Death, this time live-action. But he's you know, that time around, it's very much kind of a stereotypical Grim Reaper, black cloak, skull-faced. Uh, but Christopher Lee, is, uh, did again, his voice alone is kind of the... Re- way I imagine Death's voice going. Uh, he's, and again, it's hard to, pl- it can be very difficult to play Death correctly. Uh, I, I mean, a lot of people have done it, you know, if it's not done correct, again, it falls flat if it's done incorrectly, whatever the medium you're trying to present it in. Uh, I maintain that uh, the version of Death presented in, like, Family Guy is just, is not good. Uh, that's not necessarily a fault of the two voice actors who've done it, uh, Norm MacDonald and Adam Carolla, have both voiced Death uh, for again for Family Guy. But it's not a very you know good character. It's not written very well. It's it, again it's very flat in terms of you know trying to get jokes or you know comedy. And again, Death can be funny, but I just I don't find that version of Death interesting or compelling or even all that funny. I mean, the jokes all are very, just kind of flat, by and large. Uh, he's, again, not a very interesting, not a very well-written character, and at that point, you know, it's on Seth MacFarlane or whoever writes it to write a better version of Death. Uh, even, again, even if you want amusing Death characters, you don't have, you know, again, he can be done, Death can be portrayed in a humorous light, you just have to, again, not be stupid about it. And I've I don't know. I, I, I suppose that's primarily all Seth MacFarlane does is be stupid about things, and that includes his version of death. Uh, the other... Uh, I had another one. Well, okay, I'd be somewhat remiss if I didn't bring up uh, the television series Supernatural has a version of death in it. Uh, specifically, the Horseman of the Apocalypse. Uh, the fourth one is death. Uh, again, drawing on the Bible for reference material there, the Book of Revelation. 
And their version of death is, uh, uh, I don't know, I have a hard time kind of getting a read on him. He's very much aware of, you know, again, his place as far as, you know, being death for not just, you know, a people, but everything. And I, there's a line in there about he and God having forgotten which one of them is older, but he plans on reaping him eventually anyway, because everything dies. He's, you know, death for all of creation, and whenever one of the, you know, again, specifically the protagonist, the Winchesters, try to kind of talk with him or deal with him, uh, the first time you see him, he looks, I believe, straight through the character of Dean and says, you realize that you trying to bargain with me is the rough equivalent of an amoeba trying to bargain with you, right? And it's just, uh, again, that puts you in stark, you know, that sets very clearly the relationship boundaries between the characters. That this isn't, you know, they've monkeyed around with, uh, in that show, uh, other Reapers, you know, lesser Reapers who are just there kind of to facilitate people, you know, transitioning, uh, ghosts in particular. And then you get, you know, again, actual death, and he's very much, you know, above everything else. He's a supreme force that governs creation. You know, it's not quite the same thing. Uh... Death also believe appears in. Uh, man, I wish I had someone on here who knew who uh, knew comics better than I do, and I know there's people out there who do. But uh, this is not terribly topical because we're still a couple of years away from this. But Death as a character actually plays an important role in uh, the Infinity War storyline, uh, the Infinity Gauntlet, and I believe the Infinity War storyline. I'm not. Uh, again, I I get them confused sometimes. I'm not a big comic book fan. I try to mostly be aware of them as opposed to so I can discuss them, but I'm not, again, intimately involved or much of a fanatic about them, and I don't mean that in a negative way. Uh, but it's mentioned, and uh, Jesse Starcher, who hosts uh, Source Material here every uh, Monday, by and large, uh, shout out to Jesse, who kind of keeps this thing going when the rest of us have off days. Uh, I mentioned before that the Infinity Gauntlet storyline is basically a love story between the Mad Titan Thanos and Lady Death, who was given a specific kind of incarnation for the purposes of the Marvel Universe. Both, uh, I'm not sure if they'll do that for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That might be, you know, a few steps too far <laughs> to actually give Death a personification. Uh, but again, Thanos is very much just in love with Death, wants to you know be with Death, and Death constantly flees from him. And that's not uh, that's not just the character of Death who wants nothing to do with him. That's literal in many cases. He can't die. He wants to die. He wants to be with Death, but he can't. Death wants nothing to do with him. It's very much kind of a heartbreaking love story when you look at it from that perspective. Because, again, all Thanos does with the gauntlet, he he assembles the gauntlet because Death brings up to him that at that point in time, there are more things living in, you know, the universe than have died throughout the universe's existence. And she feels this is an imbalance that needs to be corrected. And Thanos, being obsessed with Death and more than a little insane, decides, sure, why not? Uh, assembles the affinity, the affinity gauntlet, excuse me, not affinity, though. Magic the Gathering players have plenty of horror stories about affinity. But he assembles the infinity gauntlet, gets all the stones in it, and wipes out half the universe. Just uh, snaps his fingers, wipes out half the universe. It's one of the opening panels of uh, the comics, the comic arc is him, again, wiping out half of all the known universe. Uh, just kind of because he wants to. And Death just, again, 
constantly turns away from him, constantly wants nothing to do with him. And it's really sad that he spends so much time, you know, trying to win her favor and death in this case, again, is personified as a, as a woman. Uh, Lady death shows up in a couple of other places too. Um, I seem to recall, uh, I, I can't take anything that involves Deadpool too seriously, but I believe mistress death has shown up in some Deadpool arcs though. Again, it's Deadpool and it's eh, my, I have issues with Deadpool as a, intellectual property as a character as all of it but she's again she has shown up in a few uh deadpool issues because deadpool's another guy who is kind of been driven insane by constant agony and would be okay dying but can't uh it's and again i really i mean death actually attacks thanos kind of towards the end of the infinity gauntlet storyline which again if if you're thanos and this is you know all you want in life haha you know because you actually want to die it's a joke. People laugh at it. But if that's all you want out of your existence and then death actually turns and attacks you, it's it, it, it's again, it's heartbreaking when you understand that it's a love story. Now, again, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I don't think we're going that far. I don't think they're going to give death a personification. I just I don't feel that's something they're going to be comfortable doing. I don't think it would play all that well with most of the audience. So, I mean, we can still have Thanos be obsessed with death. But I don't think we're gonna go, you know, uh, you know, death actually hanging out with him and him trying to impress her. I don't think that's the direction things are headed. But uh, death in comics, uh, DC has a very interesting version of death. I want to say it's Necron, Necros, something like that. He's one of the he's the, uh, one of the main characters responsible for the Blackest Night crossover event, uh, the Black Lanterns, the reanimated dead that wreak all kinds of havoc. Uh, across the galaxy, for those of you fans of the Green Lantern series out there. And I know there's at least two of you. Uh, one of you is probably listening. Hi, Sean. Uh, but he's very much responsible for that happening. He, again, kind of tears up. He uses the Black Lanterns uh, to kind of take over you know, the living. He wants you know all living to become dead. Uh, there's a... And I for, again, I'm not intimately familiar with all of it, so I apologize for things that I'm getting wrong here. To everyone out there listening who's screaming at me now, no, you're, it's correcting me with it. And I, I appreciate that, uh, again, and feel free to subscribe to the, to, you know, the show, leave comments and criticisms. That's where you can yell at me, uh, is in, you know, the comment section for any of these on iTunes, Blog Talk, uh, where have you. Or if you like us on Facebook, I'm getting these plugs that way early. If you like the Radlich and Broadcasting Group on Facebook, you can yell at me there too. Yeah, that's all fine and dandy. I'm okay with it. Uh, but, uh, again, in comics, death is usually more kind of vindictive and evil because he's meant to be the opposing force. And uh, that's certainly true. Again, Blackest Night, as a, as a massive crossover event, you know, dealing with the deaths of various heroes that have happened throughout, you know, that were kind of leading up to it. And I mean, death eventually is overcome by, you know, uh, the White Lantern Corps, which is, I believe, the power of creation, something along those lines. Again, I'm not intimately familiar with all of this. Uh, I think the other primary version of death I wanted to touch on is actually uh, a version of the version of death from uh, the Seventh Seal. In the, uh, you know, I'm always kind of torn on this movie because part of me appreciates aspects of it, part of me thinks, part of me can't stand it. But the kind of ill-fated, because it didn't turn out very well in several ways, uh, 
at movie The Last Action Hero starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. One of a few missteps he had about that point in time in his career. Um, the crux of that story is involves a magical movie ticket that let the wielder of the ticket actually go into movies and bring people out of movies and whatnot. And towards the final sequence, uh, half of this ticket actually winds up touching the screen at a showing of the Seventh Seal. And that version of death leaves the movie and actually enters the real world. Well, again, Bengt uh, Eckerod, and I, again, I'm going to apologize again for butchering that man's name. But he, I believe, was dead by this point in time, so they needed someone to play his version of death. And they got Sir Ian McKellen to do it, and that was, again, his very brief turn as death in that movie is one of the absolute highlights of it, which should be no surprise considering... (laughs) You know, Sir Ian McKellen is uh, Jesse Starcher playing the home game. Tells me that the last action hero was the greatest movie ever. There are several exclamation par- marks to his point, and he's done it in all caps, so we can tell he's serious. But again, Sir Ian McKellen as Death is very uh, again was really superb because he brings that same kind of implacability. He walks in on uh, again the kid who I don't like child actors in general, and this one was passable. He's desperately kind of trying to get uh, not act- Arnold Schwarzenegger's character back into his movie where he can't die. He's the, he, again, he's the action hero, and he can't die within his movie. So he's to get him back into it. Death shows up, and the kid pulls a gun on him, uh, which is a somewhat hilarious image. Tells him that he, you know, you don't get to have him. I, uh, I'm sick of you deciding all of this. And Ian McKellen, just, I was just curious. Uh, no, he doesn't die yet. And the kid actually, well, what about me? He just kind of raises his eyebrows a little bit and says, oh, not you yet either. You get to be a grandfather. I, I've always kind of wondered about the <laughs> psychological impact of being aware of when you're actually going to die. Uh, you know, just by and large. Because that's got to screw with your head uh, to varying degrees. You know, there's a line in the, only, I think the only really decent Tim Burton movie called Big Fish. Uh, the main character, mostly portrayed by Ewan McGregor, but I believe Albert Finney as well plays the older version. Uh, as a child looks into a witch's eye and sees how he's going to die, and his reasoning is, well, that means I can, I'll know what I can withstand and what I can't. I suppose that's a fine line of logic, but that's, again, that's got to mess with you, you know, knowing how, knowing when. But I just really, again, Sirian McKellen does a great job kind of translating the classic version of death into the modern age, as far as that goes, you know, updating it from a visual standpoint. And it's just a very, again, Sirian McKellen is an absolute, is a phenomenally talented actor in his own right, or any right, really, and does a great job, again, just real briefly greatest, and again, just absolutely the highlight of that movie when he shows up and is able to, you just, again, he brings death into the, into the world, and that's a pretty big deal. And he's very much the classic kind of death character. He's got the scythe, he's got the hood, he's very pale, he's you know got the voice that we kind of associate with death. Because you know, death always has, usually at least, you know, uh, the appropriate amount of menace and inevitability in his voice, and Three and McKellen does a great job of translating that. And uh, you know, honestly, I think that's about all the versions I. Re- oh no, no, I meant to segue into this earlier because I imagine there's a few people out there who might throw things at me if I overlook it. 
Um, but in the, geez, mid to late 90s, probably mid 90s, uh, there was a movie starring Anthony Hopkins and Brad Pitt called Meet Joe Black. And it features Brad Pitt, who there's a bunch of running jokes about Brad Pitt around here. I don't feel compelled to share all of them with you, but none of them are, you know, mean-spirited. But the character, uh, Brad Pitt's character, actually dies very early in the movie. He's hit by a car. I seem to recall death takes over his body because he wants to experience kind of what it's like to, you know, be mortal. Uh, He comes for Anthony Hopkins' character. He agrees to spare Anthony Hopkins, who it's his time. He agrees to spare him, prolong his life, if he will help him, you know, kind of get a handle on what it means to be human. Yeah, he winds up falling in love with one of, again, Anthony Hopkins' daughters. Uh, And it's very interesting to see death taken from, you know, completely flat, unemotional, vaguely curious, to legitimately experiencing most emotions that humans do, and... It was probably good that they cast Brad Pitt at that point in time, because at that point, Brad Pitt was pretty flat as an actor. Now, he got better. He did. He really got better. But at that point, you know, there was, uh, by the same token, you know, there was a joke about, certainly uh, a great joke about Clint Eastwood when he cast him for the, uh, you know, Man With No Name trilogy, the Dollars trilogy. Uh, that he joked that Clint Eastwood only had two facial expressions at that point in time. One was wearing the hat, one was without the hat. And again, Eastwood became obviously a much better actor throughout his career. And Brad Pitt got better. But at the time, him being, you know, that very kind of flat, unemotional presence for that version of death fit very well with what he was capable of on screen. And I think he does a very good job, you know, kind of portraying how death reacts as he's exposed to all of these physical things, you know, not just emotions, but some of the, you know, just day-to-day stuff that we as humans go through. And, uh, I had mentioned that because Pat Mullen might have, you know, flown out from, he might have left New Jersey, flown out here and challenged me to a fight if I'd overlooked it. That's the kind of thing he might do on a win. But, hey, and Brad Pitt did a very solid job as death in that movie. That movie is, eh, I don't know, it's a bit overlong. The movie has errors of execution, but the acting is pretty much universally solid. And that's normally true of Brad Pitt. I've never seen Brad Pitt in a movie and not at least been entertained. Lone exception being uh, the Ocean's 12, which is just, I feel off. But uh, I think that's going to go ahead and I'm going to close up shop just a little bit early here. Uh, you know, I've touched on all of the versions of death I really want to touch on. Uh, again, one more quick shout out to Homer Simpson's version of the Grim Reaper, who agrees to kill his wife in exchange for not killing himself. Uh, winds up fooling death, or fooling God, which again, it's the Simpsons. What are you going to do? But uh, so again, just a real kind of quick one more for Homer's death being, you know, uh, a rather funny version. Uh, but other than that, I think that's going to wrap us up again. I'm closing up shop a little bit early here. I've touched on everything I really want to touch on. And I don't think ending early is going to be a bad thing. Normally, we go long here on the Rylich and Broadcasting Network. So one of us, so, you know, a show ending early moves things just a little bit more towards normal. All right. Uh, thank you all very much for listening. Thank you for being here, for downloading, for you know, liking, subscribing, following. You can do that on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher. You can follow us on Facebook. Uh, we appreciate all of it. We appreciate you sharing it with your friend. You know, again, if you if you're following us, you know, tell your friends about it. You know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. If you happen to do that, if you know people in person, you know, heaven forbid, you know, share the show with any of our shows with them. If you think people might enjoy them. 
Now, we appreciate it. We're trying to grow this thing as a brand, so thank you all so very much for that. All right, uh, let's go ahead and get some of these other plugs out of the way. Again, Jesse Starcher, I've already mentioned, he'll be on Source Material this Monday. I seem to recall this will be RoboCop versus Terminator, uh, kicking off Terminator Week here on the Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network. Yay. On Wednesday, Mark Radlich and I will be reviewing Terminator Genesis. He's seen it. He liked it. I haven't seen it yet because I want to pay the smallest amount of money possible, and that happens on Tuesdays. Uh, you know, I've heard people say they didn't hate it. I'm going into it. I expect to hate it, but I might not. If it surprises me, I'm going to be more than happy to admit that. So tune in Wednesday, 9 p.m. Mark and I will review Terminator. Again, if I wind up hating it and he's sticking by liking it, we'll wind up yelling at each other, which makes for the best movie reviews. Uh, because it, listening to us agree with each other for 60 minutes is yeah, not, not not terribly appealing. Hearing him and I yell at each other until we deteriorate into the, you know, you suck, no, you suck, at which point we metaphorically shake hands and move on. Which is coincidentally how most disagreements should be settled. You can have reasoned discourse, you can have passion. When you reach an impasse, you shake hands, agree to disagree, and move on. Yes, I'm saying Mark Radlich and I are the prototype for how all reason discourse should be conducted on a basic level. Um, all right, this coming Thursday, I'm not sure. They were, I believe the plan was for the Long Road to Ruin with uh, Mark Radlich and Sean Comer to look at the Terminator franchise. Well, the three Terminator movies. For some reason, Mark refuses to watch Terminator Salvation. Yes, it's awful. We all know it's awful, but if you're talking about the franchise, you should do it in its entirety. I will stand by that particular statement, sir. I watched a bunch of Hellraiser movies that were absolutely awful. I knew they were awful. Some of them I watched a second time because I had the you know, I have a commitment to the listeners to discuss these in their entirety to the best of my knowledge, and you're blake and you're blatantly ignoring Salvation just because you don't like it. Well, sir, you should still watch it. You should review it. Instead, they're limiting it to the first three, of which, you know, Rise of the Machines is the worst, but Rise of the Machines is at least a fun movie. So anyway, Thursday, I believe that's the plan. If not, because uh, Sean is a very busy person right now, if he's not able to make that, they will, I believe it will be a Metal Hammer of Doom episode. I'm not sure what it would be, but that's Mark Radlich and Robert Cooper, and they usually have a good time. And on Friday, I will be back, and I will... Take a look at the Terminator franchise. Funny story, my first ever episode of Everyone Loves a Bad Guy, first ever, way back when, you know, a couple of years ago, was part well, was meant to be part one of a two-part look at the Terminator franchise. Mark Radulich was on. He and I talked about Terminator 2 and 3. We left the original because I was going to talk about that with Stuart Lang. That kind of fell apart, and there's not been a part two since. It's kind of a running gag. Actually, ever since uh, the Long Road Ruin wrapped up their look at the Rocky franchise, I've got the hang. I now have the title of longest-running open-ended two-parter, and I'm going to close that on Friday when I can look at the Terminator franchise again. I might. Uh, I'm not going to limit it just to the first one. I'm going to, you know, talk about the franchise as a whole. But I'm also working on lining up a guest for that one because, again, 60 minutes of me rambling is not the most entertaining thing in the world. And I believe me. I know. All right, but that's uh, all of that. There is no coverage for me in the MMA Zone 411 Mania this week because this Friday, or this Saturday, excuse me, is the 4th, so there won't be an event. However, a week from Saturday on the 11th of July, UFC 189. It was going to be awesome. Now it's just going to be okay. Uh, 
Jose Aldo, UFC featherweight champion, injured his ribs. Won't be able to fight Conor McGregor. Really sucks. I was really looking forward to that fight. I really, really was. But won't be able to make it. Chad Mendez steps in, and now I have to root for Conor McGregor because my dislike of Team Alpha Male is well documented, and I don't feel compelled to go into it again. But anyway, on the 11th, I'll be covering UFC 189. This Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time is the 411 Ground and Pound Radio Show. Myself, Jeff Harris, I believe Andrew Graham's going to be there this week. Uh, both to preview UFC 189 and to debate the merits of regulating training camp with Jeff Harris. Uh, so that'll be fun. Again, uh, the thing about that is the week after, we're either not having a show or we're having a morning show. I've got to get with you know the principals involved and we'll figure that out. Because on the 12th, there is a UFC event. The finale of The Ultimate Fighter that is currently going on. I believe the American Top Team versus the Black Zillions. Camp versus camp format. It's still not very good. Uh, it's a tired format. It's a tired show. It probably shouldn't seem, but it is. Anyway, the point being, that Sunday evening, there will be that, and that would overlap with our normal showtime, so we're either going morning or we're postponing it, and again, I'm going to figure all that out. And there, that show, if it if it's a live show, we'll also preview, like, four events. Again, one on the 12th, one on the 15th, one on the 18th. It's a big couple of weeks, and it's going to burn me out. I can just tell it. But anyway, tune in for all of that, and if you want further updates, again, the Facebook page uh, is probably the best way to get reliable updates. It's just Rattelich and Broadcasting. There's not too many of them. Uh, So you can search for that. You can like us, and you'll get your updates. We appreciate all of the likes, all the follows. It all means a lot to us, knowing there's people out there listening, knowing that, you know, you guys are out there, you're enjoying us, you're devoting your time. Time is really the only thing we have that is completely finite, that we have complete autonomy over. And you're choosing to give, to spend some of your time on us. And uh, again, we really do appreciate that. So thank you all for that. That's going to wrap me up. Uh, I'm going to remind you all that, you know, without death, our life really has no meaning. It is the fact that we are inevitably going to die that provides us with purpose and the drive to accomplish great things. If we could just lounge about and be, you know, Tolkien elves, nothing would ever happen. Nothing would ever get done. It would be ugly. So thank you all for listening. I'll be back next week. Until then, here's Tony Montana. Uh, And I'll also remind everyone to be well, be safe, and behave. So say goodnight to the bad guy.